Well, I would be lying if I told you I was not a little excited and equally a little nervous about what the next five weeks are going to hold for us here as a church as we come together and study God's word together. Nervous because I wonder if some of the things we're going to talk about are going to feel so countercultural that we almost dismiss them as impossible and just say, oh, that's nice, but there's no way I could do that, so I'm not even going to try. And so my prayer for you and for me as we walk through this is that we would accept Jesus' invitation to dig in a little deeper, to look below the surface of our lives, to think about our priorities, to take a look at Jesus' priorities, and to do the hard work of shifting some things in our lives. Now, I want to be up front. A lot of the material we're going to talk about in these next few weeks, some of it's mine, a lot of it is the the Bible, and some of it comes from a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. So some of you have talked to me about this book, so I know some of you have read it already, so if you want to preach a week, just let me know. We'll let you have it. No, just kidding. Uh, And we do have this book for sale, so it is out at Connection Corner. If you want to grab it, we're selling it for 10 bucks. If they're sold out, you too can get this book on Amazon in your house in two days. So there's my shameless plug that Amazon would sponsor our church. It'd be great. Uh, So, and, and we'll have more next week if we are out. As you think about this idea of hurry, I want to start with a question. When was the last time you had a conversation with a friend or family member that didn't have anything to do with how busy they are? You might remember, we wear this as a badge of honor, right? How you doing? I'm good. I'm just busy. Things, things are good. We're just busy. I got a lot going on, right? We, we wear this almost as like a badge of success. Like I've become successful because I can be so busy. Or if you were to look at your calendar, for those of us who put things on our calendar, if you don't, don't think you get off of this just by being like, I don't schedule any calendar. Ha ha. When was the last time you looked at a day on your calendar and didn't have anything scheduled? A day with nothing. Full disclosure, my calendar looks similar to this one behind us. It's not quite this full. That one starts at 4 a.m. and it ends at 11 p.m. That is way more than I could possibly handle. 4 a.m. is the middle of the night. So I do like early mornings, but 4 a.m. is crazy. But this is my September calendar. So you can take a look at it. Now I will tell you a couple things happened to me when my calendar looks like this for an entire month. This is disclosure and confession time for the lead pastor, right? So so you all know that I'm in the same boat you are. My kids will tell you when my calendar is that busy, my fuse is this this long. And my wife will tell you that there are non-church appropriate words that sometimes come out when my fuse is that long and my calendar is that busy. I think it's true of all of us, right? My guess is, if you're anything like us, you wake up early, you quickly begin to assess the day. How are the kids getting to school today? Who's picking them up after school? What's for breakfast? I gotta get my gym bag packed because I didn't do that last night before I go to bed because I don't have time to come home after I go to the gym and shower because I've gotta get to work. Oh, I've gotta pack my lunch. Now, once I get to work, I bounce from one meeting to another, just just minutes in between to grab my lunch and get it packed that I packed earlier, racing out the door. 
And before I know it, it's time to go home. My to-do list is longer at the end of the day than when I started, and I have no idea how I'm going to get it all done. We get home, we have 45 minutes to cook dinner, eat dinner, and get out the door before the evening round of runnings begins to sports, music practices. We got a quick stop at the store, then back home to try and clean up, attack the growing pile of laundry and dishes that's exploding in our kitchen. That uh, We've got a vacuum because the dust bunnies are now becoming dust raccoons that are beginning to take over our house, and things are floating, and I don't know what's going on. I got to get the trash taken out, and then to go back and pick up the kids, get everyone home, showered, homework done, and in bed. And finally, we get to sit on the couch with two minutes of quiet time. And it's two minutes because the minute we sit down, we immediately fall asleep. And before we know it, our spouse is waking us up. It's time to go to bed. But as we crawl into bed, we realize, I didn't pack my lunch for tomorrow. I didn't pack my gym bag for tomorrow. And maybe more importantly, I didn't open my Bible at all today. And we promise ourselves we'll slow down tomorrow. We'll try to do better. We'll get it all under control. But if we're honest, it's just wash, rinse, repeat. And we go through this cycle over and over and over again. Maybe you've been running at this pace for so long you don't even know how to do it differently. I think once we've run this hard for a certain amount of time, we get this sense that something's not right. Maybe the best way to describe this sense is the medical term malaise. Now, if you're like, what is that? Well, it's kind of like, I like to think about mayonnaise. It's the most like, blah, of all condiments. I mean, it's just like, what is this? Put it on your sandwich, it'll be great, right? But malaise is medically a general feeling of discomfort, illness, or uneasiness whose exact cause is difficult to identify. I might... Define malaise as waking up feeling numb, unrested, and irritated. We don't know how to fix it. We don't know why it's there. We just know it's there. And it weighs on us every day. We're too busy to investigate and too tired to begin to think about what it would look like to change. Some mental health professionals have identified a new mental health pandemic that is wreaking havoc on our lives, and it's called hurry sickness. Let's see if you have any of these. You don't have to raise your hand. You can just think about how many of these symptoms maybe you see. Continually rushing, needing to perform tasks constantly faster, annoyed at any sort of delay or interruption, moving from one checkout line to the other because it appears to be moving faster than the other one. Switching lanes at a red light to make sure we're in the shortest lane and as close as possible to the front. This is my own addition, racing the GPS. Anybody else race your GPS home? The cardiologist who rose to fame theorizing that type A people who are chronically angry and in a hurry are more prone to heart attacks, my toes are sore, I don't know about yours, says this, Hurry sickness is a continuous struggle, an unremitting attempt to accomplish or achieve more and more things or participation in more and more events in less and less time. Now, before you start to think, oh, this is just this generation, them and their mental health and all these young kids, they just can't handle the stress we used to. This disease was first identified and this doctor Uh, identified this issue in the 1950s. 
I wonder how much faster we run now than they did in the 50s. In his book, Burnout Society, philosopher Byung Chul Han says, they are too alive to die and too dead to live. I couldn't possibly die. I've got too much to do today. There's no way that'll work. And I've got so much to do, I don't remember the last time I enjoyed doing any of it. Anybody else in this boat or just me? Unfortunately, the stats support this idea that we may be the most hurried, numb, and quite possibly distracted generation ever. In 1879, Thomas Edison created the light bulb. Prior to that creation, would you like to guess the average number of hours of sleep someone got a night? Anybody audience participation? Nine. Eleven. Eleven hours of sleep. I won't ask you to raise your hand if you haven't gotten eleven hours in the last two nights combined. This one hits me a little close to home because it's happened in my lifetime. We work today four weeks more per year than the average worker in 1979. Four weeks between our overtime, between the emails. We're just going to answer real quick on our phone or our computer as we sit and watch TV at night. That five minutes here, ten minutes here, the wasted vacation time we throw away at the end of every year, it adds up. And not only are we busier and sleeping less, but we're also more distracted. Social scientists think that 2007 is going to be as historic as the year 1440 was. If you're like, I don't have a clue what happened in 1440, Jason. That is the year that Johannes Gutenberg created the printing press. It changed the way we communicate. It changed the way we share information. It changed the way we live life. And in 2007, a guy named Steve Jobs created the first iPhone. And in a matter of months, if you had an email address, you could have a Facebook account. And you could search both on here anytime you want. These things are changing our lives. Sure, some for the good, some not. I won't ask you to guess the number of times the average person touches their iPhone in a day. 2,617 times a day we touch this device. I didn't do the math before I came up here, but that's a lot of times every hour. Probably a lot of times every minute. Guys, I'm going to pick on you for a minute. I'm glad I didn't take the time to do this or chart this when I was a kid. But the average guy, prior to age 21, spends 10 thousand hours playing video games. Now, I believe that after last night. I saw a lot of costumes at the trunk or tree that I didn't recognize. They're like, oh, it's a video game character. Okay, I'm just old and outdated, right? But 10,000 hours, that is 416.67 days of video games. 
Okay, guys, we'll let you off the hook. Everybody, average Americans, male, female, kids, adults, average Americans spends 2,735 and a half hours watching TV a year. Add on top of that the 705 hours we spend on social media, and that's 143 plus days of TV and social media. It's having an impact. Any guess what the average attention span is for a, a human? Some of you lost, some of you got distracted as I said that question. The average attention span is eight seconds. Eight seconds. And if you're like, wow, that's really short, you're right. Because the goldfish you want at your school carnival in the little glass bowl that's going to die in two weeks has a nine-second attention span. <laughs> we now pay attention less than a goldfish. And that's all of us. I'm not just picking on you. That's all of us. Technology has promised us that it would make life easier, but it's yet to happen. Instead of through the use of, use of algorithms, we become busier and more distracted. Hurry is destroying our lives. And Christian leaders all throughout the history have warned us about this. Maybe you've heard of Corrie Ten Boom. Her family rescued Jews during the Holocaust. She said this about hurry and busyness. If the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Psychologist Carl Jung said, hurry is not of the devil. Hurry is the devil. And modern day theologian Dallas Willard said, hurry is the greatest enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Ruthlessly eliminated. Lucky for us, Jesus has words to offer those of us who feel too busy or rushed or hurried everywhere we're going. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says this. Come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. This is an invitation from Jesus to come and experience life differently. He's offering comfort and peace and hope to those of us who will choose to listen. Maybe the most important thing any of us can do today is pause for just five minutes, sometime before your head hits the pillow today, and decide, am I going to accept this invitation to come or not? Come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens. Some of us hear that and we go, oh, well, Jason, that's cute. But Jesus lived in Bible times and it wasn't the same as our life today. Jesus didn't speak this to a bunch of people having a great day. He's in the middle of 
this controversy and his own rejection and the religious leaders trying to trap him and kill him and he utters these words. I don't want you to think that this accepting this invitation to come and rest in Jesus is going to be easy. This is not a 30-minute nap this afternoon. If a 30-minute nap would cure what's wrong with our hearts, we wouldn't need vacations from our vacation. We can't even rest on vacation anymore. We come back exhausted. This will require some work. It will require some introspection. It will require a reordering of our lives and a conscious choice to slow down. Now, the interesting part about this is Jesus seems to offer rest and then says, come to me, all you who are tired and weary, I'll give you rest and put my yoke upon you, right? He's not cracking an egg on our head. A yoke is a wooden thing that they put on oxen as they would go and plow a field and do work. And so you're, you're like, oh, thanks for that invitation, Jesus. Come and I'll give you rest and you're sending me to work. Well, that's not so fun. That's not the way his first century audience would have heard it. They would have known that this yoke was the law he was going to teach. And what they knew was that the teachings of the Pharisees, they had taken a gift God had given them, 10 commandments, about how you live in relationship with a God who loves you. And they had added 603 additional commandments for 613 things to do as a follower of Jesus. Think that'd be a burden? I'm not sure I could remember 613 different laws, but they knew them. Jesus says, I want you to come. And I want you to understand that as you come and as you take my law, my teaching on you, it's not gonna be about obedience and following the commands. It's about a relationship. And Jesus explains what it means and how we take that yoke upon us in John chapter 15, beginning in verse 4 when he says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branch is gathered and thrown in the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Now my guess is we could figure out what the key word is in that passage even if it wasn't highlighted for you on the screen. It's the word abide. But that word doesn't really help us out. Even in English, it's a confusing word, right? Like, what does that mean? We don't use that every day. Let alone try to figure out what it meant in Greek. But the core of abide is to live, to remain in the same place over time. 
And when it comes to our distracted lives, I don't know about you, but sometimes I abide more right here than I do in God's Word. And that has its effect. I wonder how life would be different if we learned to abide, to live in a place of prayer instead of social media. If we learn to abide in God's word instead of abiding in our favorite news outlets. If we would abide in books that grow us spiritually instead of in video games. If we'd abide with groups of people who make us more like Jesus instead of abiding at Target or on Amazon to buy that thing that's going to make us complete. What would it look like if we learned to abide in love and not in fear? Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Social media, the news, video games, Target, Amazon, fill in the blank, are all fine places to visit. They're awful places to live. When we live in these places, we fail to produce fruit. We lose connection to the vine that's the one that gives us life. And we become distracted from what really matters. Let me help you see what I mean. So I want you to think about this vase. That vase is all the time you have in a day, a week, you pick your time frame. That's all the time you get. And when we abide in social media and watching the news and shopping for the things we think will satisfy us, we fill up our time. And then we have other things like work that has to get done and kids' activities and homework and school we have to go to and all these things begin to fill our time. And we come to the end of the day and, well, we should have some time for our kids. Ooh. <laughs> should have some time for my spouse to make sure I get all that stuff done. And then we try to set time for Jesus or God on top. And life gets unbalanced. Well, that worked out better than I thought. And then a friend says, hey, could we grab coffee? And we go, no, I don't have time. And we spew emotions and feelings all over those around us. What happens if we do life different? Just, it'll be fine. <laughs> That's going to drive some of you nuts, right? Like, oh my gosh. What if we start with Jesus? And then we put in the things that matter most. Our kids, our spouse, our most significant friendships. And then we sprinkle in work and sports and all the things that are going on. And then in the time we have left, then we begin to look for the things we want on Amazon or at Target. We play some video games. We search on social media. We watch YouTube videos. And then a friend comes up and says, hey, can we get some, can we get coffee? Sure. It begins to just Pour down in. 
You see, abiding requires we reorder our priorities to match Jesus's. When I start with him first, when I start with what's most important, I have time. When I start throwing in all the things that are just distractions and I don't own my own calendar, life blows up. When we learn to abide, we can experience life that is vibrant and full instead of life that feels rushed, chaotic, hurried, empty, shallow, and numb. Jesus tells us what a life of abiding looks like when he says that abiding in him produces fruit. Have you ever stopped to wonder why society today, there seems to be so much anger and violence or outright hatred for other people? Church, we live in a society that is increasingly hostile and angry But if we're honest, that same hostility and anger has invaded and filled the church. At least the American church. I want to step a little outside of my character for just a minute. I want to share something with you that makes me incredibly angry. And then once that subsides, incredibly sad. Now, first of all, I want you to know I'm not perfect. The three people sitting over here in the front row will verify that. And my ideas about how to do life and church aren't always perfect. But I believe there's a cancer inside the American church and it is destroying our witness. That cancer is our own disordered life. When we don't put that big rock in the middle we begin to pervert the gospel. When we believe or listen to people who have power and authority telling us it's okay to attack, to fight, to tear down, to destroy people who disagree with us, this is not the gospel. The truth is when we attack or we belittle or we use our place of power to win an an argument or push an agenda, we are doing the exact opposite of what Jesus did. And why would anybody want to come to a Jesus who offers them rest when our lives are so disordered they look exactly the same? So my challenge for you and for me today, maybe the first thing we could do if we're going to figure this thing out is go home and look at our social media posts. I want to ask you, did the thing you posted on social media invite people to investigate who Jesus is or give them one more reason to simply dismiss him as everything they've already assumed? If you're like, I'm not on social media, okay, what about the words we speak about other people? Do they show that we believe that all people are created in God's image, loved by their Heavenly Father, or do they demean and dehumanize them? 
Because church, if we are speaking dehumanizing and demeaning words to anyone who God created in his image, we are doing irreparable harm to the cause of Christ and the message of the gospel. I don't see anywhere in this book where the fruit we're commanded to live is anger or hate or mocking or belittling or fear. When we, when we abide in Jesus, we produce a different fruit, a fruit that sounds like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things there is no law. If we're producing other fruit in our life, that's not coming from the vine. And maybe we need to heed John's warning about what happens when we don't produce fruit. Because when we fail to abide in Jesus, we won't be able to love those with different ideologies who push for different agendas or who simply disagree with us. But when we learn to abide, we learn what it means to love. We learn what it means to experience joy and to celebrate with those who celebrate. We learn what it means to confront things with gentleness and kindness and respect and love. Let's not forget, love takes time. I don't love you until you change your life and when you don't, just stop loving you. Thank goodness Jesus didn't do that with you and me because I know where I'd be. Abiding doesn't only mean we bear fruit, but abiding means we spend time in God's word and in prayer. In verse 7, Jesus says that if we abide in him, his words will abide in us. In order for this to happen, it means we have to spend time reading, studying, and being challenged by God's word. Jesus doesn't mean this as a legalistic command. It's not a, hey, you need to go read your Bible for an hour a day, and if you don't, Jesus won't love you. That's not what he says. He says, I want you to spend time here reading this so you know who I am, so you know who I've created you to be. And so we're faced with a question, what are we going to do about those two things? How am I going to live in light of that? This is not an end, in the mean, end to the means. It's not like I just read it and go, okay, I read it, read the whole thing, what do I do now? Read it again. Well, I read it twice, okay, what do I do now? Read it again. Because it's about a relationship. This is how we get to know Jesus. This is how we get to know who he is. So we spend time in his word. And when we do that, our prayers change. This prayer that Jesus says, ask whatever you want in the Father's name and he'll do it, is not in a vacuum. It's not like, hey God, give me a million dollars. That's not what he's saying. 
saying as we spend time abiding with him in his word, it will change us so much that our prayers will begin to sound like your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, that becomes our overriding desire as we study God's word, as we learn to abide in him. We begin to live a life with Jesus. But abiding requires we reorder our priorities to match his. My assumption is, maybe it's a wrong assumption, but it's my assumption that most of our calendars look like the one behind me. There's very little to no room for margin. And I know that we all put on our pretty Sunday faces when we walk in here. But if we were honest, our lives feel like they're fueled by chaos, by anxiety, by a desire to escape. And maybe we feel like we're just on the brink of collapse. We're going to spend the next four weeks taking a look at how, what is the medicine to this desire, this society that is rushing and hurrying us. We're going to take a look at what it means to abide in silence, to abide in Sabbath, to abide in simplicity, and to abide in slowing. But my question for each one of us today is this. Henry Comer asked this in his book. How would Jesus live if he were me? Jesus never lived in the year 2023. He was never a 45-year-old dad of two teenage boys and a husband. But if he were, how would he live? If he were a single mom working two jobs, trying to take care of kids at home and make enough money to pay the bills, how would Jesus live? What would he do? That's the question I want you to meditate on this morning. As you think about this this week, I think it's the first step in accepting the invitation Jesus has to come and abide in a relationship with him. How would he spend his time? So as we close this morning, I want to give you a time to respond. The band's going to come back out. They're going to play a great song. And maybe the best way for you to respond this morning is to stand and sing. But my guess is there might be some of us who need some time to just sit and pray, to reflect on what we've heard, to think about God's word, to think about Jesus' invitation to come and abide, to come and rest. And so if that's you, I want you to sit right there in your seats and you just pray as long as you need to. Nobody's gonna look at you. If you need somebody to pray with you, you're like, I need that, but I can't do that on my own. There are prayer workers on the side of the room and they would love to pray with you. If you're like, Jason, I got something going on, but I don't, those people seem really nice, but I need to make sure that this isn't gonna go anywhere. Our pastors will be in the back of the room and we would love to pray with you today. If that's the way you need to respond to what God has said, you do that. The other way that we don't talk about a whole lot, but one of the responses we have to God's word results in our desire to give back to him what he's given to us. So if you came prepared to do that today, there are three ways to do that on the screen. 
Whatever your response looks like in this time, I want you to take this moment just for you. Let's pray. Jesus, we come in the midst of all of our running, of all of our going back and forth, of all of our racing around, trying to keep up with everybody else. And God, we come and fall at your feet this morning. Jesus, give us the courage to accept your invitation to come and to rest, to learn what it means to abide in you and to learn what it means to love, to bear fruit. God, I pray that as we look inside of our own lives this week, we'd be honest about where we are. We'd give ourselves an honest assessment. God, that you'd give us the courage to do it. We pray all this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.